Hello and welcome to the Farm Story Podcast. I'm Anna Helmer, your farmer and storyteller, and this here is episode four. And this one is called Exploding Farm Myths. That's what it's called. I have no idea what it's going to be about because for this episode in particular, I've discovered that I have wandered off in all kinds of directions in the previous recordings. Each one is is quite different. So I don't really know where I'm going. And uh, it'll just be fun to find out. Um, It's ostensibly called Exploding Farm Myths, but I seem to be unable to do that. I seem to list off the few myths and then explode them and then talk my way back into them. (sighs) All right. Well, first, I think I'll just start with overlap with last week. I did say that I would not do episode three or part three of biodynamics. Um, but I, when I said that, I forgot I would be required to overlap because that's my policy. And to that end, I left out a lot of pertinent detail intentionally, but also unintentionally. And also there was a lot I don't even know that I left out. And I do fear that, and I have been thinking a lot in the last week about all the stuff I've left out. And if there did happen to be a biodynamic expert that listened, they may have been disappointed and found it a little simplistic. And I apologize to the biodynamic experts who may have been listening, but that's just how it's going to have to be. In order for me to be a biodynamic farmer, I'm going to need to simplify quite a few things. I'm getting more complicated with it, but it's definitely going to have to start simple. And I just don't think that the people that were in the room when Steiner delivered the original lectures, I don't think they walked out of there all enlightened and instantly understanding every complicated bit of it and proceeded to farm accordingly. I think it's taken a hundred years to figure things out and it will take hundreds more years to figure more things out. So we're all just carrying on on our, and he said that he said, go back to your farms and figure it out. I know you don't have it right now. Go figure it out. So that's what I'm doing. All that to say there's ample opportunity for overlap here. And I just want to point out one important thing. Remember when I said how the farm in biodynamics is considered an entity? So that means that all that is required for soil fertility, for example, is produced on farm. And the ideal biodynamic farm would not be purchasing anything from off farm. And I'll just as an aside, say that is a lovely ideal, but I I just don't see too many farms doing that. I don't see any farms doing that. I think they exist in the world, but um, they're too busy farming to be doing anything like podcasting or showing people the farm or anything like that. So farming for for us is keeping that ideal firmly in the ideal zone. And the point I wanted to make about that is that, well, we're producing all these food crops that are intentionally 
enlivened and energized by our intentional farming practices. And then the consumer goes and eats that. And that's really important. That makes the consumer a key part of that system. And that means you, I think. Most of the people listening to this podcast are consumers. I think they're mostly eaters. I did, I have targeted eaters as my audience. I was teased about that and it was suggested, why didn't you just say people who breathe? And I felt that would be cheeky. I've targeted eaters because if you eat, you're involved in agriculture. I did not come up with that clever saying that was Wendell Berry. Look him up. So you're a major part of our farm. And if we consider this podcasting as a biodynamic activity, which I do, then whether you eat our food or not, you're a major part of our farm. I think you're a major part of all the farms that produce your food. And in this day and age, that's a heck of a lot of farms <laughs> that you're connected with, that we are connected with, myself included. And so we better learn a little about farming. And that's not very easy to do with most of the farms we're connected with. I keep thinking about these bags of coleslaw that you can buy in the grocery store. And I think what happens there is that though that cabbage that makes the coleslaw is shipped to a central place in North America. So anyone that's producing cabbage right now, for example, in February, would be shipping to the cabbage processing plant where it's all chopped up and bagged and then shipped out. So I think that the cabbage that's in the bags in the grocery store could be from multiple farms, cabbage from multiple farms. And I don't think there's any way to tell where that cabbage is coming from. And so for some reason that was really profound when I started talking about it and has lost its profundity now that I've gone to the end of talking about it. But I'm sure that I'm sure it will be recovered somewhere. Um, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that if you're part of all these farms and part of farming, then it's important to learn a little bit about the farm. And what I would like to do is lift the veil a little bit here. And I have a list of words and phrases that I feel are marketing terms, not farm descriptors. And here they are. So we've got simple, the simple life, slow, bucolic, idyllic, connected, and in tune with. Those are farm phrases that when I read them, my hackles are raised. So therefore, I must talk about them. And the simple thing, like it's not very simple, okay? It's not simple to manage a five-year rotation on potato fields with forage and buckwheat and mustard and all the clover and grass and you know it the planting of the potatoes actually is the simple part of it and it's not that simple it's not simple it's not simple to um 
make good compost and harness the power of the cosmos. <laughs> oh, it's not very simple. And slow, like in terms of slow down and whatever that means, I think it came from a good place, that turn. It came from the slow food movement, is my guess. The slow, move, slow food movement that started um, in the 80s and 90s in Italy and was a direct response to the fast food movement. And it took off all over the world. It definitely resonated all over the world. And their catchword or theme or whatever is good, clean, fair. Nothing to do with slow down and take a nap in the shade. That is not it. Um, no reference to speed of eating or cooking or anything like that. It just means try to make your food good, try to keep it clean and fair, F-A-I-R. And um, that was a play in words, good, clean, fair. So I think when they spell it out, they spell it F-A-R-E so that it can be either fair food or fair, F-A-I-R. Oh, let us move on from that. Um, so yeah, not slow. There was something else I was going to say about that. Oh, I can't remember. You know, I do take notes, but they are largely useless when I get talking. It's very annoying. This connected idea, I mean, I just spent a few minutes talking about how I do believe you're connected to farms. And yes, I do believe that you are connected by eating. But I don't think I'm like connected to the farm by anything. I'm not tethered. Perhaps I am tethered, but I'm not like connected to the season or in tune with the seasons. I know when the seasons are, but I don't think that's exclusive to farmers or farming. I don't really know when the full moon is without consulting my biodynamic calendar. There is such a thing, by the way. The fruit of a hundred years of research by committed farmers and growers and it tells me the phases of the moon and the planetary aspects if I'm interested in that and has sort of a framework for when you would plant or harvest or prune or whatever accordingly. So I can see that today we're approaching a full moon interesting it's very theoretic theoretical at this point because it's minus 10 or 15 or something out there so there's no planting or anything like that going on but if there were it would be a good time to concentrate on your root crops for some reason don't know why but that's what it's suggesting and I do find when I follow this for I can't follow it with the potatoes because it takes you know a couple of weeks to get the potato crop in the ground and this just has three or at most four day windows for these things. So these are suggested guidelines. And a good example of why we will never be a completely biodynamic farm. Um, well, I guess that's a segue, a weak one into this idea of the reality versus the theory or the actuality, the dream, the reality, I can't even talk about it. There's a dream state of farming and there's a reality state of farming. In the winter, we seem closer to the dream state. Um, 
you know, right now I'm thinking about next year's uh, season and this season is a very ideal season with nothing breaking down, everything growing perfectly, a nice amount of rain, uh, the perfect harvest and clamorous customers. As the season unfolds, the reality will take hold and will bear some slight resemblance to the dream, but more or less no resemblance to the dream. I'm sure this is not exclusive to farming. And here's another thing that is interesting, child, children on the farm. Talk about your dream state versus your reality state. It's very dreamy to imagine all these lovely children running around helping with the chores and growing up to be big, strong, wholesome farm kids. I know one family like that and it's worked. It's exactly like that. But they work awfully hard at it. I don't think it happens by accident. I have not necessarily been successful in raising a big, strong farm kid just yet. We had to start with liking potatoes. He didn't really like potatoes at the beginning. He made faces like we were poisoning him with potatoes. <gasps> That's a family secret that I just divulged. Here's another family secret. Our cows did not like potatoes at first, and this was horrifying because cows are supposed to love potatoes, and the whole point of biodynamics with cattle is that they will ingest in the one end something that we can't really use like grass and potatoes and then poop it out the other end in a form that's incredibly valuable and they are capable of transforming these products that we can't use for ourselves we can't live on grass it doesn't do much for us just in its grass state but processed through cow's digestion it's amazing and same with potatoes so imagine our surprise when they turned their noses up at our potatoes. Eventually they got the idea and it didn't take long to be honest. And then they were up to about 60 pounds a day eating cow potatoes. But we don't have cows this year. So I'm working on creating a biodynamic compost heap that will digest potatoes. And so far it's a work in progress. And I did turn it yesterday and it was very warm in there to the touch, but the potatoes are still, they haven't been transformed yet. I'm still building it. There's still another, you know, about a thousand pounds, maybe more of culls to put on there. I'm layering, layering it with hay. I want to make sure there's lots of air before it all freezes and then thaws and it's going to turn to a muck. So I need to really make sure there's lots of organic matter to sort of uh, um, accompany that muck. Wow, I'm really getting sidetracked here. Now I'm talking about biodynamic compost. You will not find that topic anywhere, anywhere on my notes. Let me look at my notes. No, nothing, nothing interesting, nothing pertaining to where I've gotten to here in this episode. I have recipe, hmm, recipe. I did think that maybe it would be fun to attach a recipe to these podcasts. However, 
I don't really cook very much. I um, don't, I organize my life so I don't have to cook. In the summer, you know, I do get very dirty and often greasy from equipment and very often overheated, quite cranky, mosquito bitten. And going inside to cook does not appeal at all. And preserving is just not going to happen. Like no canning or anything. I freeze the odd thing, but I'm not a very good homesteader that way. Farming is not necessarily homesteading. There's a myth. Or a um, assumption that gets made that's not necessarily accurate for all farmers. It's probably an advanced skill. You know, if I think about it, the farmers that I know that are also really um, homesteading could be called homesteading. They've been doing it for a long time. It's not it's not an early skill, perhaps. Actually, with COVID, I had to um, organize myself an outside kitchen because normally in normal times I would go inside to mom and dad's house to do my lunch or whatever but in COVID I curtailed that activity and made myself an outside kitchen so I got to I did actually do a little more cooking at the farm I did a lot of potato boiling because we eat a lot of the calls which is leading me into my boiled potato recipe the homesteader type farmers amongst you will now be laughing at me. That's good. Made you laugh. Um, yeah, not complicated. Fill the pot with potatoes. Cover potatoes with water. Don't trim them or peel them. Cut them or anything. They can be boiled whole. If you're, if you've got russets in there, they'll fall apart. And so will the French fingerling. Not the end of the world. Boil them up. It is possible to forget about them, so set an alarm on your phone if you're prone to forgetting about things like that, and set the lid ajar so they don't like boil right over and make a huge mess. And when they're done, a nice sharp paring knife will pass through them, and you should not encounter resistance. A f sort of clinging to the knife feeling is okay, but no resistance. You don't want a hard potato. Then, that done, pour the water off. You can save this water. This water is very nutritious. Nutrient-dense water is what that is. I have saved it before and then drunk it, but that was over-the-top healthy for me. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe it's keto. Could be keto. And But I just pour it off. And let the heat come off the potatoes because the next step is going to involve picking them up and hot potatoes are awfully hot so just let them settle down a little and then peel you can pull the peel off with all the blemishes if you're using culls and it'll just come off in a papery layer and take all those blemishes with it and you're just left with this lovely potato and then you can just cut that onto your plate and if you have time or feeling fancy pan fry them with butter and garlic right then and there and you've hopefully made more than you need for the meal so then you have tomorrow's potatoes ready to go 
put them in the cooler or the fridge, whatever you're calling it, and do the same thing tomorrow. Serve with chutney or cheese, salt and pepper, whatever you like. Oh, yummy, yummy, yummy. That's what I'm having for lunch today. Oh, so there, I got a recipe in. I think that might be the extent of recipes I'm willing to talk about. I'm going to find people to talk about their recipes. Won't that be fun? Okay, that is the end of this episode. And if you, like me, are confused about what I actually talked about, um, well, welcome to another little thematic duality, confusion versus clarity. It's in there somewhere. Okay, episode five, I'll try to tighten it up, try to get a little more rock and roll. Don't even know what that means. Okay, thanks for listening and bye for now.